does this thing where he says he looked up and he saw the Lord enthroned on high uh, and his temple filled with glory. And it was in the midst of much pain that his eyes are taken off his situation and he's able to look up and see the living God. And I wanted to continue this morning on this wonderful theme of an encounter with the Almighty. And that's what I'd like to, to do. But to start off with, um, I'm going to show a, a, a video clip. It might have some disturbing scenes, but I just really want to ask that you would uh, have a look at this in, in the light of what I'm going to share. Thanks, Jess. It's an, an, a campaign called A21, which is um, basically a campaign against slavery worldwide, and especially the, the sex slave trade industry. Um, it's, a, it's absolutely devastating when you hear the extent of, of that uh, trade industry. Uh, currently, there are 800,000 people who are trafficked um, across international borders every year, and with the amount of legitimate travel that happens, it's so easy for someone who's been trafficked as a slave to, to get across and through the system. And the sad thing is that about 50% of all those that are trafficked are children. If you think of our, our children's ministry, we've got about 60 children in our children's ministry. And uh, one out of every 12 children are in slavery between the ages of 5 and 18 that would mean six of the children here would be working as sex slaves or in, in labor in factories somewhere in the world. It's an absolutely devastating thing. Um, it says, uh, I think there's a hundred, in total, probably across the world at the moment, there's 126 million children who work in the worst forms of child labor. I actually found a, a program on, online where you can actually work out how many slaves work for you. Because it's amazing, we can make it a distant thing out there. Oh dear, um, these, these clothing companies, and I want to especially mention Nike, because I'm sorry, but they do use slave labor. Where children are used to, to work into their factories, and adults are used to work in their factories, and treated with absolute depravity and um, with very poor con uh, conditions, working conditions. But there's a, a site where you can go on and you actually type in all the things that you use in your home. And I actually calculated, I have about 60, 60 slaves who have been helping to make my lifestyle the way it is. It's absolutely awful to think it's not so far removed. I have a lifestyle that is sustained by slavery in the world today. It's a, it's a very shocking thing. And besides... Um, the thing of labor and sex trade, the sex trade, there are 300,000 children soldiers across the world over 30 different war-torn areas. Children that are kidnapped from their homes or where whole villages are decimated and the children are taken younger than 10 years old, given guns and told to go and kill people. I don't know what killing someone does to a grown man, but do that to a child and you've ruined their lives. Uh, these people have no choice over the course of their lives. They've got no rights. They're often beaten, abused, and threatened with violence. And slavery is flourishing in many, many parts of the world. And it's every bit as ugly as it was 200 years ago. We had a celebration. You remember when the, that wonderful film, Amazing Grace, was released, which was celebrating the 200th year when slavery was officially abolished. 
Slavery is still illegal, but it is greater today than it ever was in those days, and it is more depraved today in some ways than ever, than ever it was. Um, the video clip I wanted to show you was a true story of a young girl called Natalia who lived in the Ukraine, and uh, she met a friend, and a friend said, I'd like to introduce you to someone who will give you some work in Greece. And uh, she was so excited, she went across to Greece to look for work. Her passport was taken. She was basically gang-raped and put into a, a, a brothel where she had to serve. She was only 17 years old. And that is not an uncommon story. Um, this is happening in the UK. This is happening in your street. You, you don't know what's happening in your street. You think it's happening in some seedy part of London. It's, it's in normal middle-class homes down your road. You don't know what's happening. There could be girls locked up in those rooms as young as 14 years old who are having to serve sometimes up to 40 men a day. Um, I am giving some shocking statistics because it's real and it's, it's quite frightening. And uh, I really want to now tell you, um, in the context of that, I want to tell you about a rescue story. Um, Jesse, if you can go to that slide. About uh, 1300 BC, famine struck what we now know as the Middle East, and it was absolutely devastating. Livestock were dying, and families resorted to eking out a survival on their last resources of grain. And so many people from all over that whole known area began to leave their place of origin, and they migrated across to Egypt because of its wealth and resources in food. And uh, people arrived empty-handed, and they received kindness and a chance at least to wait out the famine and then hopefully to return home again. And one such family that went across to Egypt belonged to a man named Israel, who had 12 sons. And together with all their families, they settled in Egypt, and over time, they became very fruitful and grew in numbers. However, as the years passed, the favor that they enjoyed soon returned, soon turned, and a new king came into power who now saw the family of Israel as a threat to Egypt. The pharaoh became really fearful um, and decided that in case these people, because they were growing so big, um, began to side with Egyptian enemies and should overthrow his rule, decided to oppress them. And it must have seemed like an absolute shock to these descendants of Israel. After years of prospering, they were now branded as outcasts in that community. And their freedom was taken away from them. They were forcefully conscripted into a slave force to build the Pharaoh's new cities of Ramses and Pithom. And in addition to this, the Pharaoh conspired with the Hebrew midwives to kill any boy infants as they were being born. So just as the, the mums were about to give birth, they were to, to kill the boys. Um, but the midwives believed in a higher law of God's wisdom than that of the Pharaoh, and so they spared these baby boys from infanticide. And Pharaoh was furious. He then commissioned his soldiers to grab any baby boys under the age of two and to drown them in the River Nile. Absolutely devastating. And it was into this world of pain, dehumanizing oppression and suffering, that a man and his wife, Jacobed, had their third child, 
a baby boy. And I can just see all the mums and dads. We've got Jason and Mel with their little baby. And we've got uh, Chris holding his little son there. Just think of the situation. This family, they've been looking forward to their third child. And who could understand their mixed sense of delight at his birth and the sheer terror of trying to conceal him from certain danger? Every time that baby would cry, Jacobid panicked that some would, someone would hear him and give him away. And after three months, the stress was just too much. Together with her seven-year-old daughter, Miriam, they wove a basket, sealed it with pitch, and placed the baby into the river Nile. Trusting him to God, Jochebed could no longer watch, and she left distraught. But Miriam stayed. God had watched over the baby. Because at the same time, each morning, the Egyptian princess came to bathe with her servant girls, And they heard the baby crying and lifted the basket out of the water. It was a beautiful Hebrew child. And the princess knew her father's decree to kill all Hebrew baby boys. But her heart was moved to compassion. And she used her authority to save this one young life by taking him as her own. She called him Moses, which means saved out of the water. And uh, Moses, this little baby boy, which I know you know the story, this wonderful story of Moses. Moses' name could be used in both the passive form and the active form. It can mean one who's saved from the water, or it can be used in the active form of one who saves others from the water. And you know what? I believe that in every generation, God uses those that, re- uh, that he rescues to rescue others. Because we're not merely saved just to live for ourselves. We've each been saved because God has a rescue mission for us to be part of. Every single one of us, God has a rescue mission for us to be part of. And even though Moses was just a baby, his life was already unfolding the greater um, plan that God would have rescuing people from a terrible plight. You know, I am a strong believer in destiny. I believe there's a destiny on every single child. And you know what? You were children once, and now you're grown up. That destiny is not gone. God has a destiny. God has a purpose why he's saved you, why he's called you, why he's rescued you. It's true of us. And I believe the prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit across this nation and across the nations is stirring the church to wake up and see the slavery, see the brokenness around us. Um, I am so encouraged whenever I've been to different conferences and different churches across this country where I've visited over the last six months, this message of being aware of the plight of those that are caught in terrible things like the sex trade industry is something God is moving on the heart of his church. God has rescued us to be rescuers of those oppressed children that are held captive by evil pimps, drug lords, and gangs. God has rescued us to care for those who are riveled with AIDS. God has rescued us to help those constables who are rehabilitating criminals and to bring them back into society. 
God has rescued us to be those that where people are dying and struggling with cancer, that we can stand alongside them and help them. I don't know what the rescue mission is that God has got for you, but you weren't rescued just for yourself. You were rescued to be a rescuer. As William Wilberforce declared when he stood in front of Parliament, he said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Those are terrifying words. When I read them a couple of weeks ago, it hit me to the heart because, you know, this is not about sentiment. This is not about saying, oh, shame. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, I hope someone's going to do something about that. We can never again say we did not know. This is happening in our town, in our city. It might be, there are people all around us. But I want to say that God, at the same time, never motivates us from manipulation or from guilt. It comes from having an encounter with him and hearing his heart. And God will start to put the rescue mission that he has for you on your heart. Don't come under condemnation. Don't come under guilt. But he, he wants to make you a rescuer for the things that are on his heart. Um, but you know the wonderful thing about Moses is, as that uh, slide says, Moses was also a type of Christ. And what that means is, is that he was a prophetic picture to Israel of their true savior and rescuer who was still to come, Jesus Christ. You know, um, is when Jesus came, and there's so many parallels between Jesus and Moses because Israel was also in a state of oppression, but this time by the Roman Empire. And an, an, an infanticide had also been commissioned by King Herod to kill all the baby boys during um, Jesus' birth. Um, and we see also into this world of turmoil, God sends a tiny baby boy. Isn't that amazing how God entrusts his rescue mission to baby boys and girls? And you just think, they're so fragile. They could have been killed. They were sent into conditions where that, that were destined to, to wipe those babies out, never mind anything else. We have maybe the rescue mission God has got for you is about abortion. How many children are being killed because of abortion? And God is saying, I'm going to not allow anything to stop my rescuers coming to the fullness of my plan for them. Moses brought the law, but Christ brought us grace. Jesus made it possible for us to be saved from the most terrible slavery of all, and that is the slavery of a sinful nature with condemnation that leads to death. We have been saved from that. You don't have to walk around feeling guilty. You don't have to walk around with condemnation on your life. Jesus died to rescue us from that amazing uh, death sentence that we were walking under. Jesus is our rescuer. He comforts us in our pain. He heals our wounds, both physically and emotionally. He takes away our guilt and he gives us peace. And we are rescuers who can point other, others to the true rescuer, Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, what were you saved out from so that you can be a rescuer of others, so that you can bring others to the great Savior who is Jesus? All of us here have a story of where we came from. Jesus, God took us out of the water 
so that we can help take others out of the water. Next thing I want to say about Moses was that Moses was prepared for action. Now, the story about Moses continues from when the Egyptian princess found him, um, and then she obviously needed someone to take care for this baby. And God allowed baby Moses to be nursed by his own mother uh, as she was called on to be a wet nurse because obviously the, the um, Egyptian princess wouldn't have been able to, to feed the baby. And so Jacobed is actually paid and given wages to nurse her own child. And isn't that just like God? What seems to be a dead-end situation He not only turns around, but then he prospers us amidst our pain by providing for us. I think God is so amazing. You might feel this is dead end. I don't know where God's going with this thing in my life. God comes in and he exceeds our expectations. He prospers us in our pain. You know, sometimes as parents, we may struggle when we see our children that are subject to different difficult things that they may be victims to or victims of. And it can be very painful when we see our children struggling. And I really feel encouraged by the faith of Jacobed because she saw that Moses was no ordinary child. It says that in Hebrews, he was no ordinary child. And some translations say he was very beautiful. I think that's something of that no ordinary child is that sense of she knew there was a destiny on this child's life. But she also realized that she had come to the end of her own resources to care for this child and to provide for him. And uh, that she could trust was God who blessed her beyond her expectation. I always remember a lovely story said because we were three three girls in our family and uh, she had a wrestle one night with God and she felt God saying, will you give your girls to me? Will you trust your girls to me? And she said, but I love them so much. And, he, and she, God said to my mom, yes, but I love them even more. Will you just trust them to me? And there's this wonderful thing where we, we want to hold on to our children because we think God can't look after them. But God is more than able. He loves them than we can ever hope to, to or be able to love them. And even when we see our children going through pain and struggles, that's okay because they're in the hands of a loving father. And the amazing thing, in these years when Moses was nursed by his own mum, those were the years when she was able to instill in him a love for God, the true God, Yahweh, and for his nation, the, the, the Hebrew people. So that when it came time for her to return this little baby boy to the Egyptian princess, in his heart he had this love instilled for his people and for, for God. You see, God had a plan for this young child, that he would be a great leader one day. And so God made a plan through the pain of him being removed from his family for him to be educated in the Pharaoh's court with the best tutors of the land. And Moses, taken from conditions of a slavery life, was taken into the conditions of the palace. And he would have learned to read and write and which prepared him to write his five bestsellers. You know what the five bestsellers of Moses are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We would never have had those five books of the Pentateuch if if Moses hadn't had that amazing education and learned to write like a a real scribe. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, 
he would have studied history and governments, and he would have known all about the Egyptian deities which were confronted with the ten plagues. Moses lived the life of an Egyptian prince for 40 years and enjoyed the privilege and prosperity that it afforded him. But things were about to change in our story. This was not what he had been saved out of the water for. God was about to allow his life to take a whole new direction. Did you see Moses committed murder? In an attempt to stop an Egyptian from beating a Hebrew slave, he intervened, but it ended up with the Egyptian being killed. So Moses hurriedly tried to bury the man, but word was out. He would be wanted by the king for murder, and Moses had to flee. So he ran away into the desert to try and hide amongst the nomadic tribes. And one can only sort of imagine the thoughts that were going through Moses' head at this time. I'm a failure. I'm a murderer. I've killed somebody. I took someone's life. I haven't had a chance to say goodbye to my family. What on earth is my life all about? 40, the age of the midlife crisis. How many of you have ever been there? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's a bumpy ride, even if you haven't committed murder, (laughs) though you might feel like you want to. Sometimes it's our most unstable, unsure times that God takes us on a whole new adventure for our lives. Wouldn't it be nice if God gave us new direction and new things in our lives when we were just feeling confident and sure of ourselves? No, he always brings change when we are feeling like a twit, when we're feeling like we don't know where we're going, we feel unsure of ourselves. Sometimes then that God says, but this is all part of what I have for you. I'm preparing you for action. And for Moses, this change happened with him meeting his wife and starting a family. Moses befriended an old Midianite priest called Jethro who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage as a wife and they had two sons. And so Moses, after spending 40 years in Egypt in the life of a prince, now spent 40 years in the desert in Midian tending his father-in-law's sheep. And uh, there's an ancient Jewish commentary on the scriptures called the Midrash and it tells us that Moses was chosen to lead the children of Israel because of his kindness to animals. And when he was bringing the sheep to a river for water, there was a little lamb that did not come. So Moses went to the little lamb and carried it to the water so that it could drink. And like God, Moses cared about each individual in the group and not just about the group as a whole. And this showed that he was worthy as a shepherd for God's flock. Another 40 years looking after sheep and simply raising a family. I want to say we must never discount God's preparation for us in the ordinary things of domestic life and in doing a job faithfully and well. Because it's in these places that we may not feel the thrill of the temple courts will be surrounded by influence and power, but the Lord is carefully fashioning us into his rescuers. 
Don't despise when he's preparing you for action. It might not be the preparation you thought. It might not be exciting. It might not be thrilling. It might be just learning to love people, care for people, and to be those who are carrying the heart of God. The third thing I want to say is that then Moses, after he was prepared, he had an encounter with God. Because you see, God was not blind to the people's cries of the people of Israel. He saw them, he knew their pain, he heard their cries, and he intended to answer. A lot of time may pass, but God never forgets. I want to say that to some of you, a lot of time may pass, but God never forgets. If we are suffering, God is right there with us. And in some sense, he feels our pain, just as parents do for their children. Those of you who are mums and dads, you feel the pain that your children are going through. And the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and they were groaning under the burden that they were carrying. How was God planning to answer their prayer? He was going to save them from the Egyptians' hands and bring them to a new and abundant land. God answers big. God answers big. He richly supplies our needs with more than we ask or even think. Few of the Israelites probably were even asked, they they probably didn't even think to ask for their own country when they were calling out to God. They were just praying, saying, God, give us more sleep, give us more food. They didn't think that God's plan was much bigger than they were imagining. And fewer still had even begun to imagine that what God was, the kind of country he was going to give them was an abundant one. But that is what God had purposed for us, for them. And I want to say the same. You might be in a situation when you can just ask, God, help me today. I want to say God's plan and his answer is much bigger than the than what you can imagine. He's going to be abundant in how he responds to the cries of your heart. And what was God's plan for doing this? Moses. Trained for 40 years in Egypt, formerly a prince, a murderer, an exile, a man slow of tongue, 40 years a shepherd for his father-in-law. He was God's chosen instrument. And we know the story of how God called Moses out from the bush. And uh, you see, it's amazing because God took the initiative. We can sometimes say, I've got to have an encounter with God. I've got to meet with God. God initiated. Don't you worry. You will have an encounter with God. And maybe you have already. And maybe it comes in a still small voice. Maybe it's dramatic like the burning bush. But God is going to initiate an encounter with each of us that is unique to us and what he has for us. This place where Moses encountered God was on holy ground, and God identified himself to Moses as the God of his ancestors. This was God Almighty, who had already watched over the patriarchs and established a covenant with Abraham. He was the one who had chosen Israel and set it apart for himself. A long time had passed, but they they were still his people, and God was going to do something. So I want to say, in this encounter with God, two things had converged. Two things. The plight of an oppressed people 
and a man's encounter and commissioning with the living God. I believe prophetically that many have been going through God's preparation, lengthy seasons, maybe even 40, 50, 60 years. For some, you've been through personal challenges that have thrust you into the arms of God because there's nowhere else to turn. I believe that God is raising up men and women, boys and girls, who will be rescuers like Moses in our generation and in their generation. God is raising up rescuers. And this is God's initiative. He's doing it. He has heard the prayers of all those children and men and women who have been bound up and are living through hell on earth right now. There are some people, I don't even think we can, when I imagine what hell is like, some people are living in hell right now, and they haven't even gone to hell. They are living with hell on earth. The Bible says one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Let's open our eyes, open our hearts to the things that are on God's heart. Let's not be surprised when we encounter the living God because he intends you and I to be the answers to someone's cry for help. God saved us to save others and to bring them to the great rescuer of all. And so what I want to do now, I've got some two songs which Jesse's going to put up. And uh, I want this just to be a, a, a reflective time. I want us to, as as individuals, reflect before God how he has rescued you. Just let that be overflown to worship for him. He is such a kind God. His mercy is on you every morning. He's he's amazing. And just allow that worship to overflow. The last thing I want from me sharing is for you to come under condemnation and feel, I've got to go and do things. I believe that it's as we encounter God, as we worship him, if it's in the place of worship, he will come and start to speak to you. He'll speak to about you about that old granny in your street that no one ever goes to visit who needs rescuing. He'll speak to you about uh, the boy at school that everyone picks on because he stammers and no one wants to be his friend who needs rescuing. I don't know who it is. Uh, maybe God is calling you to foster children. I don't know what... The, what it is, what the rescue plan God has for you to be part of. And uh, I've shared about the sex slave industry today because I, I believe that's a big world thing. You know, all that evil needs to flourish is that good men do nothing. And you know, it just takes one person, one person. And my pet thing is, if you're into pornography, shame on you because you're feeding that industry. Shame on you if you're into pornography. Stop it now. Stop it now. It is the most vile evil that has become acceptable as normal in our society. That's a start, how you can start rescuing some people by not being part of that industry. I really want to say that very, very strongly. But I want to say this morning, let God come and change our hearts. Let him come and speak to us. Let him come and minister to us so we can go out and be his rescuers.